0: Now, there is a growing mentality or mindset in society that I would call the I over us mentality or the I over we mentality in which there's an expectation that the attention of catering should be catered to the individual rather than the whole. And that's the opposite of how God wants us to view our relationships with one another. Because love is selfless and considers others first. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, as Pastor Martin explains. This particular month, we're looking at the 30th at century uh, identity in Christ and essentially says that I believe that I am significant because of my position as a child of God. So today, our sermon title, which is the first of four, is entitled, The Identity That Matters Eternally. Identity That Matters Eternally. Now, there are many things in the world that serve as symbols. Symbolism is all around us. And symbols are used to identify either with a cause or a specific effort. It may be used to help us to identify with an individual or a particular group. A symbol might be used for us to identify ourselves with an organization or an institution, but it also can be used to help us identify with a place or a nation, like when we raise a flag, someone may fly a flag out in front of their house and you can identify, you know what they're identifying with based upon that flag. But there's one that is one of the most recognizable symbols in the earth. But it is unique and also intriguing. And there are not very many that are more significant or synonymous as the cross. Now a symbol, this symbol, the cross, is a symbol that in its origin was intended to create or strike fear and and trepidation as it was an instrument of death. It was a means of torture that was designed to accomplish capital punishment. However, Through one man's act of intentional obedience, Jesus Christ, his willful and his innocent acceptance of the plight of this device being used on him change or transform this instrument of death and dread a symbol that was intended to strike fear and trepidation into a symbol that helps to represent salvation. Hope, life, love, and ultimately his surrender to the Father's will. And watch this, and those who identify with this symbol Do so because they recognize that it is a means or way through which God of all creation demonstrated his love for mankind and provided them access to be reconciled back to God and to now live a life in relationship with him. A symbol that was intended to bring fear and anxiousness and trepidation and even a device that was used to kill is the same symbol that we look to to say, that's how I have my life. Because at the cross, cross. at the cross, where I first saw the light. So a symbol that now hangs around necks, Mm. earrings are made lapel pins because it now represents life and hope. So as we look to this sermon series for the month, we're going to discover together how identity changes because of this symbol. See, the symbol now represents life change when I talk about the cross, I talk about what I used to be on the other side of the cross before I came to Jesus. As we look at the sermon for today, because we're talking about the identity that matters for a lifetime and an identity that has eternal implications, the identity that matters for, a lot, for eternity. We live in a society today where self-interest and self-promotion is prevalent, and how someone identifies themselves is a preoccupation that drives multiple facets of their life. We live in a world in which the pursuit of significance through popularity and notoriety is unrelenting and is achieved in some cases by any means necessary. Whatever I've got to do to achieve popularity and notoriety, I'll do it. There's a broad desire in our society to amass as many likes, clicks, views, and followers as possible. And here's the the thing, one of the most popular places where one can go and celebrate themselves is called the YouTube. The place where you or the star, even though only fifteen people follow you, but you can celebrate you on the you too. And then those who are successful in amassing this currency of popularity are called influencers. And influencers use their platform oftentimes to steer people towards their own personal interests and opinions. Here's the question that we must ask today. How does the the text today contrast with what I just described? Because even though this is popular practice, the Apostle Paul today is persuading for us to not identify ourselves with the selfish modules of the day, but that we would identify ourselves with the selfless posture of Christ and his cross. Because ultimately, when we think about this, we can find ourselves being caught up in a non-biblical world view of how we view ourselves. And that can be dangerous. Because Paul just said to us, let the mind of Christ be in us. Now, there is a... Growing mentality or mindset in society that I would call the I over us mentality. The I over us mentality or the I over we mentality, in which there's an expectation that the attention of catering should be catered to the individual rather than the whole. (laughs) That the Interests of the individual should supersede the interests of the greater. Now, this is so prevalent that even the US Army at some point began to adopt this ideology. In 1917, Isham Jones wrote the lyrics. And Tell Taylor and O. Olson wrote the music to a song that the Army used called, or entitled rather, You're in the Army Now. Or We're, also known as We're in the Army Now. Now, the song is actually themed to communicate a message. And that message is that although you come to the army as an individual, but now that you're in the army, the greater interests are more important than your singular interest. Now the reality is that this mantra held for quite some time until about the 50s when the army, the oldest branch of our military, kind of shifted its focus from the 50s until 1971. It shifted its intentions, uh, or, or the message, to one of more of choice and not chance because uh, it, was, it was designed to encourage individuals to voluntarily enlist rather than being drafted. So it spoke about having more choices, that if you choose the army, if you voluntarily come, you'll have more choices in, in how your career will go. Until about 1970, now from 1971 till about 1980, they use a few different uh, changes through that, that, that time span, but then a major change happened in 1980. In 1980, the Army realizing the need to appeal to a growing sense of self-expression in young people, they adopted this mantra, be all you can be in the Army. So they adopted that and it was very popular. I remember it growing up, be all that you can be in the Army. It never appealed to me, I'm just not a military guy. I love patriotism, I love my nation, I love my country, but I just don't see myself defending. I, I, I think that I'm, I'm just supposed to support those who do. And while I'm on the subject, do we have any military folks here? Raise your hand. Please stand, let's, let's give them a hand. No, just stand up, let's give them a hand. We have so, those who have served because we can celebrate our freedom and safety. Look around the room, see who it is, tap, go to them and thank them, amen, at the end of service. Because there was a growing sense of this need to appeal to a broader population by saying, you can be what you want to be. Until about 2001, now this was a short-lived change because as they begin to really look at it, they realize that it was contrary to this sense of teamwork. Because in 2001, till about 2006, the army adopted the slogan, The Army of One. They quickly realized that wasn't helping their cause because those that were coming in saying, hey, listen, I'm the army of one. (laughs) Moving far away from this sense of the singular interest of the individual is subjective to the greater interest of the whole. And just to finish out that history lesson, from 2006 to about 2018, they used what was called Army Strong. And then they made a change in 2018 to the present where they're using Warriors That Wanted, that sense of being a warrior that you can be on this team and and fight. Now, you may say, Pastor Martin, why did you waste all of our time Talking about the army. Well, because the same author of our epistle today, the Apostle Paul, actually uses military language to describe you and me. Because he speaks of the army of the Lord. In 2 Timothy, Chapter two, verse four, Paul uses military terminology to describe believers. He says there, he says, now no one engages in warfare, military, entangles himself or herself with the affairs of this life that he or she may please him who enlisted military, him as a soldier. Paul says that we are in the army of the Lord now you begin to understand how these identities start to change when you come to the cross because I didn't come, I didn't sign up to be no soldier. But everybody is a Christian soldier. Why are you a Christian soldier? Whether you want to get on the team or not or whether you enlisted or not or whether you thought that's what you were doing, Paul helps us understand in another place that we have an adversary who also has an army because Paul uses a ranking system to describe our demonic adversaries. So whether you knew it or not, there's a war going on in the spiritual. Ephesians chapter six and verse 12, here's what the apostle Paul writes. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood But he says, but but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says, our battle, we're in a battle whether we realize it or not. Now, I need to stop and do this because oftentimes we talk about spiritual warfare. We either avoid it altogether or become extremists. You didn't get the parking spot, the devil. That's the devil. It's just a parking spot. Everything's the devil. This water ain't even cold anymore. The devil trying to give me some warm water. Here one, here's one. Lady, as you was coming, and that new shoe was wrapped around your bunion, ooh, the devil trying to trying to spoil my day at church. (laughs) No, you should have got a size that you can... (laughs) (laughs) So either we totally ignore the fact that there is a spiritual warfare going on, or we become too concerned with it. And the reason why you don't want to become an extremist is because when you go and look At uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul actually describes the works of the flesh. And he lists about 18 different things that are just things that are part of the fact that we are in a sinful body. So a lot of things we attribute to the devil are just somebody just being devilish. That's how my big mama would say it. Big mama would say, listen, you been devilish, boy. You out there throwing them rocks? Bring your devilish stuff over here. Get the switch while you're coming. (laughs) So he talks, he uses a ranking system. I want to break this down for you real quick. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because this is not a message on spiritual warfare. But I want you to understand that your identity did change because you entered into a battle in which the victory has already been won. <laughs> you got to understand, when Jesus was on that cross and he said, it is finished, he had done all, he had defeated hell and the grave because when he died, he went down into the belly of the earth and he said, but I'm not being, my life is not being taken from me, I'm giving my life. But watch this, he says, but after three days, yeah, yeah. I'm picking my life back up. And when he rose, he rose with all power over death, hell, and the grave. So, so a, a war is going on, but the outcome has already been determined. The question is, which army you gonna join? Because here's what he says. Um, let, me, let me do this real quickly. He uses principalities. That word, principalities, chief, first, first estate, or a state ruled by a prince. Principalities, I believe that there are spiritual, demonic forces that reign over whole nations. You're right. You're right. They are principalities. You see certain things that happen in certain places. You say, man, how could something like that happen? Widespread activity. Then he says, rulers of the darkness of this age. That word actually, ruler there, speaks of world system because it speaks about world influence. I believe that that is where you see those things that have worldwide activity. Like, that's not associated with any specific nation, but the activity itself. That's where you get into those things like uh, uh, child molestation, human trafficking that, com- that crosses borders and goes all over, drug distribution. So we have principalities, nations, systems that have worldwide appeal. And then you have the next word, it says powers. When you look at that word, it speaks about delegated influence. Power or specific jurisdiction, getting down into the state and the city levels where there are those who are ranking higher, but there are those who are the underlings who are serving. And then he says, spiritual hosts, those are the troops, those who are soldiers that are serving. They start talking about demons. Everybody gets, Jesus, pastor, go on. Let's stop and just say this. Light always has authority over darkness. You never have to, as a born again believer, you never have to be afraid and anxious about demons. Because Paul says that we are children of light. John says that children of light walk in the light. If I were to do a demonstration, I would do this. I would turn, have them turn all the lights down and then just take out A flashlight and when you turn on that light you'll find that wherever that light shines darkness has to that's why he said let your light shine because when your light is shining darkness has to flee let's move on let's go on let's get to my first point for the day some of you guys like (laughs) whoo So let's get to the first point. First point for the day. See, you all know have said all of that and just made the first point. But I'm not going to be long. It's all right. Take your time. Yeah. I'm not going to be uh, it, it won't be an hour long sermon. It won't be, I promise you. Because everything I need to say, I can say it in the time that, that I have. So let's go to the first point. First point is it's not just about you. Now, I want to say that. The operative term, just about you. It is about you, but it's not just about you. Because if you go back and look at verse number four in Philippians chapter two, here's what Paul says. He said, let each of you look not only for your own interest. So, so notice he said, it's about you. Yes, it is, but it's not just about you. He says, don't just look out for your interests, but also for the interests of others. Because when we talked about earlier, the fact that we live in a society in which the focus is always on me, and it's all about me, how do I feel, how do, what do I feel about it? Then oftentimes we never consider how it affects others. Some things are posted that don't take into account others. Because the mindset that we see is one in which it's not just about me, it's also about others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I, and I, and I wish you to make no, note of this, because this is an important passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 23 and 24, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. See, sometimes we don't think about how what we're doing will affect others. Yes. Those who are watching, who know that you've been confessed to be Christian, he says, Every, everything, you, you have the right to do it, but should you do it? Okay. Yeah, you grown and you grown, and, and when you got out of your mama's house, you said, I gonna never let nobody tell me what to do. But he said, that's not how this army works, the army of the Lord. He says, because all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Edify means to build up others. Verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. There's some things that God wants us to do or not do, Not because we don't have the right to do it, but because of how it will affect someone else. This is important even in your household. Husband, sometimes you want to say something about your wife or you want to say something about her mama, but you can't say that. (laughs) The brothers are giggling. They say, oh, man, I I got a few things I wanted to say. Wife, you got some things that you want to say about this mama? Some things you want to you want to you want to call him to the carpet and say, "Man up, get off your mama's skirt tail." But you got to be careful because you have the right to say it. It, it. You ain't breaking the law if you say it, but it ain't helpful. Some things you want to say, parents, to your child. You want to say the things that your mom said to you. But you knew you didn't like being called that when you were your, when you were the child. So why would you call them that? Here's a note I want to move on. Here's a note that I want to leave you with before we move on to the next thing. The world emphasizes self. But the Christian is called to esteem others, that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you are called to be considerate or to esteem others. Because Paul is addressing the church in Rome, and they'd got into an issue in which there were those who were uh, who were Christians coming in and they were watching and they were seeing how some of the people were buying food in the market and they knew that that, that food had been sold or used in rituals. And so some of the new Christians were looking at some of them buying the, buying the food and, he, and, he, and they were arguing over whether they should eat the food or not or whether it was wrong for them to eat the food or not. And in the 14th chapter, verses 19 through 21, Here's what Paul says to them. Verse 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Verse 20 says, Do not destroy the work of the Lord. He said, Don't destroy what God is doing in their life because you have liberty. Because sometimes we use liberty too loosely, we're too liberal with our liberty. He says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for man who eats with offense. Verse 21, he says, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles. We have been at at gatherings where we know that our uncle has a problem with alcohol. No, he can't just have just one. And he looks to us knowing that we are walking with Jesus. And we'll still turn up with him. He says, it's not good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. But in order for us to accomplish this kind of thinking, thinking, we have to move to my point number two. We have to have a mindset reset. (laughs) A mindset reset. I told you last week that we come into this world as getters. When we're born again, we're now transformed to those by the inbred presence of the Holy Spirit the new nature of God, the divine nature of God in us to now become givers. So the mindset reset helps us because here's what it says. In Philippians chapter two, verse five through seven, He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider himself robbery. He, he said Jesus didn't come trying to loud himself He came that he might lift his father. And he came and he did what he did for the sake of others. I said earlier that he was innocent, but he was receiving capital punishment. He did that just for you and just for me. Jesus came and did it just for me. I said that we have to have a mindset reset because here's what happens. As we journey along, eventually we start to be reminded of some of the old things. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, verse 2, and do not be conformed To the world. The world system focuses on self but God's system, the kingdom of God considers others. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed, here it is by the renewing of your mind. Mindset reset is not just one day you change your mind you got to keep changing your mind back because we're bombarded every day. I'm sitting there watching television, Brother Ron, I'm not hungry. <laughs> but they come on and say, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. <laughs> and I said, you know, honey, I haven't had a Big Mac in quite some time. <laughs> and for the rest of that television program, all I could think of, Sister Marlene, was going, and going down the, I, I was trying to figure out, how am I gonna do this? Am I going Am I going am I going to offer it to my family? Cuz I want I want I want to consider everybody, you know. Consider consider others, right? Don't don't be selfish. Consider am I going to offer it to my family? Or am I just going to go and get me one and sit in the car and eat it? Wipe my mouth and come back, oh, I just ran an errand. So I have, so the renewing of the mind is a continual. As something piques your interest and gets you going, you got to remind yourself and reset your mind again. That leads me to my last point for the day. I told you it wasn't going to be long. There's a new identity at the cross. We have a new identity. We identify ourselves differently at the cross. One last note before we close. I got a story I'm going to tell to help close our time out today. But before I get to that, this last note, Jesus' death on the cross changed our identity from being convicted sinners to being redeemed and forgiven children of God. Yes, sir. <laughs> I was convicted, man. I had done my due, I had my payment of sin, but at the cross, I'm no longer a convicted sinner, i become redeemed child. Let me tell you this story real quick before we close today. In 1989, a young man, a young student, who was raised in a home with no God and no religion, his own words, living in an oppressive nation was helping to lead a peaceful protest of students. But the protests became tragic and a number of students lost their lives in conflict with the police, which led the government to uh, imprison him along with others. For his part in the events, he was placed in his country's prison system. And after serving a short time in prison, at the point of being released, he still feared retaliation, so he fled into the countryside to a a small village. When he got there, he met a lady who was a Christian, but she could not read. And she had a handwritten copy of the Gospel of John. So for his room and board with her, she said, would you just read this to me every day? After a year of reading so that she could hear the gospel, he didn't realize that he was also hearing the gospel. Because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. As he was reading so that she could hear, he began hearing. And after a year, he became a Christian. And watch this. And today, he is a pastor who is now sharing the good news with anyone he comes in contact with. So here we have an example that when he heard about the cross of what Jesus did for him, it changed his identity because he came to his experience as an angry student, unsaved and didn't know God. But at the cross, he became a son of God and now a servant of God, sharing the good news because here's how Paul describes this gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 he says for this message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel or if we can assist in any way Please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes. Visit us at AmityBC.org. Until next week, be blessed.